Welcome to another edition of UMass Hockey Hour right here on 91.1 WMUA Sports. Colin Casey flying solo today. First show of the new semester, and it's too bad this first show of the new semester, there's not too too much good news to talk about, as of course UMass Hockey currently on a hold due to COVID-19 and restrictions put in place by the University of Massachusetts to combat a spike in, in cases across campus. Saw also some videos surface from a frat party attended by dozens of people. I'd say a hundred, I guess, based on the video I saw. And yeah, it wasn't pretty. And part of the reason why we have this shutdown. And I guess I'll open the show by saying I don't, I don't necessarily, I, I get that all students are, are equal and everyone's a part of the UMass community by all students here on campus for, for UMass, myself included, you know, being a, being a, regular student here at UMass, but the people who have done an exceptional job during this pandemic have been the student athletes. They have been put essentially in their own bubble since the start of the year, since August, where they started practice and getting ramped up the hockey team. Anyone who's watched the hockey team know that this is basically a year-round commitment as this offseason isn't very long, especially if you're a team like UMass a couple years ago that played all the way up until April. Things get started back again at least... I think by July at the latest, if I'm not mistaken. Now, COVID this year has definitely affected that timeline. But these these athletes are committed year-round to whatever sport they're playing at a Division One level. And they've done an, an immaculate job of keeping th- themselves safe and others safe during this pandemic. I mean, the only halt came from UMass basketball, if I'm, if I'm mistaken. I think hockey had an inconclusive test, but they still ended up playing that weekend, if, I, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. These men and women have done a phenomenal job of keeping themselves safe, their teammates safe, their coaching staff safe. They've done they've done everything right, and they end up getting you know the short end of the stick. And now they have to wait two weeks. UMass basketball coming off a huge win this past weekend against Rhode Island, and all that momentum could be for naught if they're not going to be able to play for two weeks. They, I know they have um, you know uh, a a checkpoint to hit too with games played in the A-10 for, for seeding and tournament-wise. So that there's a lot of stuff going in peril for UMass basketball who've done things pretty well the entire year with just one little hiccup, but they still have done a fantastic job of keeping positive tests down. Women's basketball's done an outstanding job as well, and they've had a pretty successful season this year. They've, they, they, they've been stumbling a little bit the last couple of weeks. And they, uh, they had a couple of losses and, and, you know, tough games that they should have probably come out on top of, but... The, the most important thing is they were getting on the court and now they're punished for that. And same goes for UMass hockey. They get punished because of a rise in cases, which doesn't really, doesn't really impact them because they're separate from everyone else. They're not interacting with these people that are on campus. So that's the people I feel really the worst for are these guys, are these athletes that have worked hard, coaching staff, training staff, everybody who's worked hard to try to, have these seasons take place in such a tough time. I know a lot of people didn't expect there to be any college sports at one point, probably as we head into the fall. And to have it to have it two weeks taken away from a season, to have your momentum halted and, and kind of force you to kind of start over in terms of getting ready for whatever lies ahead in the, in the end of the month and going into playoffs... That's tough. That's a real tough blow. And I don't know, I don't think I agree with, you know, the student athletes being the ones who have to suffer the burden of, of these spikes in cases when they've been doing everything right and 
they've been separate from all these people. But that's just my opinion on the matter. And I'm just one guy, and I know there's a lot of UMass fans that would probably agree with that sentiment. But bottom line is, the university has a final say, and their 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 intention is to keep everyone safe and try to make sure that this is just a uh, uh, a one time thing, and that they're when campus starts to open back up a little bit, there aren't any issues like this. But yeah, I just real I really feel bad for these student athletes for the way they've worked their tails off this this whole school year to kind of be thrown into uh, thrown into an unknown, essentially, because you don't know what's going to happen after these two weeks are up. They could struggle to get back going, and by that time it could be too late with playoffs right around the corner. So that's just how I feel about the matter. But let's focus a little bit more on the hockey side of things. UMass Hockey, of course, has played a ton of games this year. They haven't had any any stoppages. They barely had any weekends off. They've been playing whenever whenever possible, and it's certainly been a benef- benefit to them because they've been playing pretty well this season. They came in number nine this week, uh, improved a spot by not playing this past weekend. After um, they weren't on the schedule to begin with this past weekend, now I guess in hindsight it would have been nice if they had gotten a couple of games. I remember if I remember correctly, Maine was rumored to be an opponent, but neither of those teams ended up playing this weekend. So. They um, they were supposed to play Northeastern today, as it's being recorded on Tuesday, February 9th. That, of course, isn't taking place now, but they came off a sweep a couple weekends ago, uh, January 29th and January 30th, against UMass Lowell. Played really sound hockey all weekend, and it was big because they had a couple of ties against Providence. You know, one, one tie where well, it was just defensive, both those games were so defensive-oriented. Philip Lindbergh was phenomenal, and he has been the last four day, four games, just stopping everything, it seems like. He gets an opportunity, and he has t- made the most of it. Goaltender of the month for January, not, not surprisingly, for Hockey East is, I think his save percentage is 980, if I remember correctly, which is ridiculous. I mean, you don't see that very often. He's a talented goaltender, and he him at his best, I was talking to one of my friends uh, who goes to BC, about, you know, top goaltenders in, in not just hockey's but all of college hockey. Of course, him being a BC guy, he knows how great of a goaltender Spencer Knight is. And I said to him, I think Knight might be the only guy in all of college hockey that is better than Philip Lindbergh when he is at his very best. And that is high praise because Knight is a fantastic goaltender and a top prospect for the Florida Panthers. Philip Lindbergh was a seventh-round draft pick a couple of years ago, has had trouble getting a starting job here at UMass because Matt Murray has been great as well. He's been a great goaltender and a, a real consistent guy for for UMass over the last three and a half years now, ever since he came in as a freshman. Both these guys came in as freshmen and really competed from the get-go and have been such huge, important players for this team in games. You know, they've, they're capable of stealing games, and you need that from your goaltender some nights in Hockey East. But my point being... Philip Lindbergh, at his best, there's not many people that are much better than him. I mean, some of the saves he makes are ridiculous. He hasn't gotten the help, it seems like, in some of these games where he gives up just a goal or two and the offense hasn't been there. So he's been a little, it's been a little unfortunate for him that he hasn't been able to have more more to show for it in the wins and losses column. But with the win against U- UMass Lowell, he had some great play in front of him, some good scoring. Um the, the, the defense have been great this year also, in addition to Philip Lindbergh. You know, the 5-0 game on on Friday night got scoring from basically everybody. You got 
a couple of goals from Trevino in the first period. And then even some of these other guys, you know, Matt Kessel's been great from the defensive end scoring-wise. I think he's got nine on the year, so he's approaching double digits as long as, you know, UMass is able to get back going. I think he's going to hit that mark pretty easily. Um, Cal Kafuke, he's been a guy who's been banged up a little bit the last, so far since he's been at UMass. Remember, he didn't finish last year due to a, uh, a broken jaw he suffered against, ironically, UMass Lowell. So he ends up getting some revenge against the Riverhawks and puts one in in the second period of that game. That made it 4-0 and really kind of put that one away. And then Jerry Harding had the other one, had the other goal in that one. And then in the other game, uh, in a 2-1 two, two game, George Mika had an assist in the first game, and he was able to add a goal in the second one. Anthony Del Geizo would assist on that one. So fourth line, boy, have they been difference makers this year. And I love that unit of Mika, Del Geizo, and, uh, and Jerry Harding. They've... Provided the the energy that this team needs at some times, you know, when their their opposition strings together a couple of solid shifts, they send out that Mika line, and they're able to kind of swing the momentum back in their direction. It's it, it's not always on the scoring sheet. Sometimes they just need a physical shift with good forechecking, and then you'll send the top line back out there, and they feed off of that energy, and usually leads to some great chances. So that is the energy line that I'm seeing right now for this UMass team making a difference. And I'd like to see them stay together. I know Eric Faith was in concussion protocol. Not sure. This could be a good thing for this layoff if he can get back out on the ice once UMass is allowed to start playing games again. And Reed Lebster, we know, is out for it with a long-term injury. So this this is a one bright spot in this layoff is you got time to get some of these guys back, potentially. I don't know the the... News on Lebster hasn't been exactly all that, you know, that's how it is with, with these college sports. You know, coaches don't like to go into detail about players' injuries, but they they, they, they usually give you a, a, a kind of a timetable, a, 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 not, not, not a strict one, but a, a, a soft timetable, whether it be short-term or long-term. And, and Reed Lebster's injury falls in the latter category, which is unfortunate because he came back for one game and it appeared he re-aggravated that injury was bothering him. Remember, it was initially a leg injury, and believe that might be what came. It's very similar to what happened with Mark Delgaiso last year. So for Lebster, they can get him back. That's a great addition. And same with Eric Faith. But at the same time, other guys are getting an opportunity in this fourth line that's making the most of it with George Mika, Anthony Delgaiso, and Jerry Harding. So there are some some good things that come out of, of injuries as a team, and one of them is other guys getting an opportunity and making the most of it, essentially, is what we've seen so far here. Um, so, looking ahead, we obviously don't know what the schedule holds for UMass hockey going forward. We know they're not going to be playing this weekend. Hockey East actually just dropped their schedule this weekend as UMass Lowell, who I was just talking about, is now going to take on Boston College, number one ranked team in the country still, after having a, a tough, having a hand their hands full, I should say, with Boston University this past week, uh, BU quite the team. They're starting to look like a real competitor in that in hockey East. Albie O'Connell's a big year for him because they hadn't had a lot of success under him so far, and now they're starting to see that with a lot of. It, it looks like guys are starting to buy into the system that that O'Connell has in place, and that's got to be good news if you're a Terriers fan, because we know the history of Boston University. They're you know, under Jack Parker, they've been a, a one of the top tier teams in all the country, and them in BC 
when they're both at their best, it's fun to watch those games. And that's what this weekend was. A couple of fun hockey games between this, those two teams. The big goal by Hellison. And then BU coming away with the victory the following night. And a pretty convincing victory against uh, against the Eagles. That one at Walter Brown Arena. Um, anyway, digressed a little bit from UMass. But bottom line is we don't know what the schedule is going to be going forward. Um, we know UMass hasn't played Maine yet, and they were planning on playing them, so you wonder if that might be in the works for once they resume in, later on in the month. But at this point, you just kind of find you find your uh, opponents however you can. You just want to you just want to find opponents however you can. We saw UConn play UMass a lot earlier in the season. Maybe they end up going playing them again. UConn's now ranked; they're at number twenty. So. That that you that Terriers I'm sorry that that Huskies team is looking really strong under Mike Cavanaugh and I think that would be another good test for UMass once they return in terms of who they would play but obviously I think Maine's a priority because you haven't played them yet maybe Vermont again they haven't played they only played Vermont earlier in the year they could end up going up this time to Burlington uh, you know three hour drive kind of a kind of a drive I mean they're the closest opponent I believe other than UNH to to Burlington so. That could also be an option, and again, I, I'm just guessing at this point. They're just, they're gonna play whoever whoever works out for them. It could really be any of these ten, other ten teams in the conference. So, and that's still also you know a week and a half from now at the very at, at, at least. You don't know for sure when this uh, if, if athletics will be clear to play. There's no definite telltale news that oh sports can kind of resume the second. Uh, this quarantine ends, and they got to get ramped back up with practice. So they might even need another weekend. Not being able to practice for two weeks is going to certainly take its toll on not just the Minutemen hockey team, but UMass sports all across uh, Amherst. So we'll see. We'll see what what takes place in that regard. But at, at this point, you can only you can only just kind of hope what takes. Uh, you can only hope that things come back smoothly and that these teams are ready to play. I know they'll be hungry to play, because they're probably not, again, not too happy that they've had this opportunity taken away from them, and they're, they're patiently waiting to get back out and practice and play some of these live games ahead of the upcoming tournaments, whether it be Hockey East or Atlantic 10 tournaments. So, uh, we'll take a quick break, and also, uh, on the other side, we'll talk about some of the questions. I reached out and asked you know, UMass Twitter for some questions this week, We'll get into that and talk a little bit more about the rest of the conference as we get closer and closer to Hockey East playoff time. And a quick reminder that this edition of the UMass Hockey Hour is presented by Hot Table Panini. Located on Route 9 in Hadley, they've been serving the Pioneer Valley since 2007. Customers can try out the new Ginger Honey Ham Panini, New England Clam Chowder, or Winter Beet Salad for a limited time only, along with the Hadley location Hot, hot Table has seven other stores, including two Springfield locations and two locations in Connecticut. They're open from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Saturday and look forward to continuing their service of the Amherst community with special paninis hot off the press. You can find more information at hottable.com. More UMass Hockey Hour coming up next. For more than 25 years, residents in the five college area have been getting food brought to their door by Delivery Express. Customers can order from over 85 Pioneer Valley restaurant locations. Almost every local spot in downtown Amherst is available to eat without having to leave your own home using Delivery Express. 
Online orders can be placed at DeliveryExpress.com. Phone orders are available through their iOS app or by calling 413-549-0077. Worried that COVID-19 might change the bar scene of Amherst? Well, even though COVID-19 has presented its challenges, the Spoke is here to stay in Amherst. Once state guidelines allow it, the Spoke will reopen its doors to the public with an even bigger space than before. Having added a new office space to the bar, the Spoke is now 5,500 square feet with more dance floor space for all. They offer local brews and customers can check out the new renovations made to the nightclub. Above all, the Spoke cannot wait to get back to doing what they love, serving the community of Amherst. They look forward to reopening and serving you all in the near future. Hey, welcome back to UMass Hockey. I'm Colin Case. Just me today. Talking to UMass Hockey and when it'll come back at this point, because who knows? Who knows what's going to take place over the next couple of weeks as UMass athletics are currently on a hold due to COVID-19 restrictions implemented by the university. But let's get to some of the questions that I saw this past weekend. I know I was supposed to. I was trying to get this uh, get this show pumped out earlier, and as I was going to go record it you know, on Sunday, then all of a sudden the news comes out and now you kind of have to just change the game plan. And that's exactly what has taken place here. So UMass hockey, uh, again on that pause, but let's take a look at some of the questions that I've gotten. Uh, we'll start with one from our own Jesse Kolodkin, who says we've seen the Minutemen put up five goals and we've seen them put up no goals in games. Is their offense something to be worried about or just working out the kinks of new guys on the team? Well, Greg Carville at the beginning of the year talked about how there are no Hobie Baker Award candidates on this team, and that's, that literally is the case now as the watch list has come out and there haven't been any UMass Minutemen named to the team. It's a big watch list, so that could also have been a choice to not send anyone because it's kind of at the school's discretion to provide names to, to be nominated at the very beginning. But, yeah, the consistency of the offense, it's it's been up and down, and I think this was an expectation. They've... It, Coach Carvel had talked about there's going to be a lot of games where we're going to win them 3-2. to two. Not a whole lot of scoring, but if we can get to the three goals, I like our chances. And I think historically, when UMass has scored three or more goals, it has really favored them. I'll have to go back and check and see what their record was last year, but I remember it was really good when they scored three-plus goals. So the offense is important to this team. Let's take a look back at some of the last few games. Uh, they they haven't scored three or more goals in three of their last four and um, they they've tied two of those three games and they won the other, which was on Saturday against UMass Lowell. So yeah, these low scoring games historically the last few years under Greg Carville haven't really favored the Minutemen because it's, it's when they get that scoring that they're just so tough to, to stay with because they're so sound defensively, but occasionally if you don't get that offense, that's where it hurts them. And, this season has been kind of an example of that. They did score three against BU in the second game, but they also led three to one in that game. And then Jake Gaudet took that major penalty and BU would end up tying the game and eventually winning it in overtime. So yeah, it's, it's, it's weird because there's been stretches, you know, during that win streak, they were scoring goals all over the place. And Jesse's point, they scored in that, uh, it was a seven game win streak, I think. Yeah. Seven game winning streak. All of those games that they won, they scored four or more goals. So clearly, if the offense is there, they're in good they're in good shape. So if they can get that scoring back once they resume, I like their chances to to make a run in the Hockey East tournament. If 
whatever that looks like. If it is, you know, I, that's another thing. I'm interested to see what that tournament looks like, whether it's going to be the three-game series in the first round or in the quarterfinals. And then if it's going to be, you know, single elimination after that, that's something that the conference will have to work out. And I'm assuming it'll still be a TD Garden. And we'll see if they can work that out as well. Got to work with, you know, the Bruins and the Celtics, as always. And COVID could change that. So maybe they'll opt for a smaller venue in that regard. Could maybe have it hosted at one of uh, one of the Boston schools. Maybe even like a neutral site there. If, uh, they get, maybe have it at Harvard. I mean, I I, I know they haven't had uh That's kind of a long shot, though. They had... They are, they are playing this year, but I don't know if they're, you know, going to be willing to open the rink up in, in that time frame for it to be a neutral neutral venue. So that's that's another important thing to look at. But, yeah, bottom line, uh, if th- when this team's scoring, it's one of the best in the country. When it's not, it's still a good team, but it's that much harder for them to, to grind out these, you know, one nothing, 2 to one victories. They're at their best when they get that offense from everybody up and down the lineup. And this past weekend was kind of a good example of it when they got scoring early on Friday against UMass Lowell and they ended up winning 5-0. Those two goals from Trevino early on set the tone for the rest of the game. They dominated. They didn't really let the Riverhawks come close to scoring throughout the game. Lindenberg was good in net, but they made his job a lot easier by having just consecutive shifts of great, you know, dump and chase and, and four check and all that. They, they played a complete game. It's probably their best game of the season, that game uh, at Mullins against UMass Lowell. So those strong starts, especially, that's another thing. Obviously high scoring, but when that scoring comes early on, you know, in the first period, when they pick up a goal or two, that's when teams start to get in trouble against the Minutemen. You got to take away all the momentum they might have had going into the game early and that's how that's how UMass finds itself in these, you know, in these in these wins essentially, is they, they get off to hot starts and eventually they tack on, you know, four, five, six goals a game. Pretty hard to beat anyone, especially a UMass team with such strong defense and goaltending when you're putting up that type of numbers. So appreciate the question as always, Jesse. Uh next we'll go to uh Mass Asparagus at Mass Asparagus, UMass Asparagus. Whoever's listening to this probably knows who I'm talking about here, but uh, he writes as I, I know it's only been four games, but if Lindbergh keeps playing like this, when do the wild take notice the Minnesota wild? If he gets an extra year because of COVID, is he back for two more years or is he off to Minnesota or Iowa, the AHL affiliate of the wild would love to have him at UMass through 2022 to 23. But is that realistic? I would expect him to be going through his regular four years and come back next year as the number one goaltender on this roster. And that will be a great opportunity for him to showcase what he's capable of, of being the clear cut number one. I think he is that right now, but we know how quickly that can change when, when you have a guy like Matt Murray backing you up. So right now he's the clear cut number one, and that could always change as it has all season long. I don't expect him to take another year because it's starting to look like he's ready to compete in the AHL, and I don't I don't think another year is something that he needs at this point for his development. He's he's a guy who's shown how good he is at his best, as I touched upon earlier in this program. So I think next year is a good opportunity for him to maybe put himself in, you know, the Mike Richter Award nomination, being a top three goaltender in the country. I mean, that's, I think, his ceiling for sure, is getting that 
getting getting to a point where he's considered one of the best goaltenders in the country this year if he gets consistent playing time. So that last year, his senior year, should be enough to allow the Wild to take a look at their seventh round selection at goaltender and and think, let's see, is this a is this a guy that can really quickly rise through the ranks, kind of like what Jeremy Swayman's doing right now in Boston after leaving last year. Last year's Mike Richter Award winner from University of Maine went up and joined the uh, went and joined the Providence Bruins, and now all of a sudden he's looking like he could be their starter come opening day for for them. Um, or I, th- I think their season actually just kicked off. I'll have to double check that. I haven't been paying too much attention to the to the AHL because some teams I know aren't playing like the the Springfield Thunderbirds, but um, Providence I know for sure is set to play. And I'm 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 not sure exactly ex- what they're yeah. So they're they just they just play their opener actually, and they won four to one. So they just kicked their season off. Uh, I'm trying to see if and Swayman also was a starter. So there you go. Stopped 26 of 27 shots uh, against the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. So he's already making a name for himself. And Swayman was a mid-round pick. I want to say he was a fourth or a fifth round selection. So for these goaltenders that come in at you know mid or late round selections, if they play well at the college level, they obviously can you know teams take notice and they quickly rise to their ranks. And Hockey East, it's been a, a it's a conference that's known for its great goaltending. You look up, of course, at Maine. Swayman joins the group of Ben Bishop, Scott Gar- Scott Darling, excuse me, uh, to name a couple. Jimmy Howard, another one, of course, who just announced his retirement. UMass Lowell, another goaltender university with Connor Hellebu- Hellebuck, who has been who just won a Vesna Award. Um, you got Dwayne Rollison, who's a longtime goaltender, another really good guy uh, that's been in net. Over the years, um, and Tyler Wall for UMass Lowell now trying to make his way through the NHL. He's a Rangers prospect uh, trying to make his way up to the big leagues. Tim Thomas out of Vermont. The, the list goes on. I could go on for days about great goaltenders. Caden Primo from Northeastern has already made his NHL debut after uh, leaving there, and he was also Mike Richter Award winner from the year before that. So great goaltending up and down from these teams. I didn't even mention Jonathan Quicks. Please don't jump down my throat. I know I should have mentioned him from the start. UMass fans, I apologize. But I was just trying to, you know, try to be not, uh, try not to be partisan here and in, in, in recognizing some of the other great goaltenders from hockey's. But back to Lindbergh. I'm sure the Wild are starting to take notice now for sure. But I think he's going to be back next year. It makes sense for him. He gets a great opportunity to, to shine by himself and, you know, Matt Murray will probably either, A, if he wants to use that extra year, will probably be a grad transfer, or he can, you know, end up signing with a team that's interested. I mean, he's tried out at camp with the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, so there there have been teams that have already been t- giving him looks. Maybe he's already going to stick with one of these teams in the AHL or the ECHL. We'll have to find out that that's something we'll find out, I'm sure, you know, it come April and May when all these things, you know, start coming up fast and furious after the season. Uh, last couple of questions to uh, address from Brandon Zykowski. Um Shout out to Brandon. Good to get a question from you. Uh, the odds of what are the odds of Ryan Leonard coming to UMass and Cole Harrod? Do you think he has a chance to come in next year compared to 2022? We'll start with the Leonard conversation, and this has been a popular one amongst UMass fans. And 
If you don't know what Ryan Leonard Leonard has been up to, he is currently playing at Pope Francis, a sophomore at Pope Francis down in, uh, I think they're in Chicopee. Chicopee Springfield, I know they, uh, I don't know where the, I can't remember exactly where the, uh, the campus is. I know the old cathedral was down in Springfield, not too far from my house, but Leonard, if you don't know, has been absolutely lightening it up the last year plus now for Pope Francis. The guy is just so, so talented, just like his brother was for that team under coach Foley. Um, so I don't know for sure what's, what the, the thought process is in terms of Leonard's recruitment. I think September 1st is when he can start or is the, is the earliest he can accept an offer. And I don't think he's going to accept it that early considering there's going to be a lot of interest from a lot of good teams and a lot of good programs. And I saw some people looking at, uh, there were folks looking into what, you know, teams he followed. And I think BC and BU were a couple of them. So there, there's obviously family ties to the school and rightfully so based on what John did. And of course, Alyssa working in the athletic department. And of course they're, they're, Everyone knows what what their dad's done for the University of Massachusetts, but you know you can't re- you don't really know for sure what's going through his head or his family's head through this decision. You know, there's obviously been a lot of pressure put on Ryan to to come to UMass and keep that tradition going, especially after the success his brother had. And clearly, Ryan is a talented player, but at the same time, maybe he wants to you know carve out his own success story at another big name school and find himself among some of the great players at Boston College or Boston University or maybe out west in, in at Michigan or all these, you know, blue chip schools. I'm not saying UMass isn't a great school for right now. It's arguably, I mean, it's top 10 team in the country perennially the last three years. They just don't have the history of some of these other schools yet. I say yet because that team, this UMass team under Greg Carville has certainly taken those steps to, to carve out their own history, no pun intended, over the last couple of years. But that's just one of the things that, that UMass has had to deal with is these historic programs from Boston, you know, Michigan out west, all these teams that have been have racked up championships and have had talent after talent come through there. That's, some, that's the uphill battle when you're a team on the rise, a program on the rise, trying to make a name for themselves. UMass Lowell is a team that had to do it, you know, seven, eight years ago when Norm Bazin started to find some success at uh, up in Lowell. So UMass is uh, uh, battling that same thing with, with these schools and that's, and Leonard's going to be a good measuring stick to see exactly where they're at in, in, in terms of recruiting some of these big guys, the huge, huge upside though, of course, is family ties and the location Leonard being Leonard's being from Amherst. He's been watching this team play when his brother was there. We'll see exactly how those sentimental ties will affect his decision making but it's too early to tell in my opinion to decide what the odds are that he comes to UMass I think it always has to be in a conversation though without hesitation um next to Cole O'Hara um obviously O'Hara you never know with projections on when these guys are coming in and it's important because you don't want to you don't want to say definitely when guys are coming in because it does impact recruiting with programs and they don't want to say for sure oh this guy's coming in 2022 or whatnot it's really it's really kind of arbitrary and you don't know for sure when this is going to take place and it's a fluid situation so but 
as far as O'Hara concerns, I think the big battle for him in coming in next year is A, if there's any guys that want to use up another year of eligibility. I think that's a possibility. Um, and B, what the flight risk situation is for this team and and who ends up who ends up staying, who ends up going. But O'Hara, really impressive. Really impressive t- player and and a guy that I'm sure he's also a Tri City guy just like Zach Jones. Uh, this he, him being a winger though, that's one thing that I think would help that possibility is the fact that he is a forward and not a defenseman because they do have a lot of talented defensemen and three that have been drafted and you don't know exactly which of the three will be back next year. Could be all three, could be none of them. Who knows? You, you don't know for sure until you get that that confirmation from the player themselves. So. As far as O'Hara goes, I, I I still think he's at least a year away, and as as good as he's been playing for Tri City in the uh, in the USHL, thirteen points in twenty two games, certainly trending in the right direction. He was in Ontario the year before, and his that success has translated to the USHL. That's always a good sign. Um, I think as of now, it's it, it it's up in the air whether he ends up being a uh, guy and you and plus I completely forgot too about the ECAC transfers coming in next year that's one thing that's really going to work against Cole O'Hara are those ECAC guys that are coming in for UMass um and we'll see for sure what that looks like but yeah that's that's certainly something else that works into is UMass getting these transfers in um Sorry, I was completely blanking on the names. Cam Donaldson and Matt Baker were the two guys I was thinking of. Uh, Donaldson had uh, he had 12 goals as a sophomore for Cornell, so the, the scoring is there for that guy. And it, it could be a situation like Carson Gusevich. You see how well Carson's played this year for UMass. These graduate transfers that are coming in are looking at that and like, hey, th- this could be me next year. And 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 Matt Baker's another guy who could provide that. He was uh. Baker had a uh, six goals and 18 assists as a junior. So you get those two guys in the mix and then you look then some of those younger guys might have to take that other year and I think I don't think it's a bad thing because with COVID going on it's important that they focus on their development before making that decision to jump to the college level. Some guys take a little bit longer to develop and that extra year could be huge for Cole O'Hara and We'll we'll see. It's 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 something that's worth keeping a close eye on, but I still think that next year would be a bit of a stretch for him to be joining the team. We'll have to see. And and the same goes for Ryan Ufko, but he has been really impressive this year. So it all depends on whether there's some decommits, whether some guys come back. There's a lot of factors that go into this, but Ufko, it hinges more, I think, on the flight risk situation, who stays and who goes. But I, again, I think same thing for him. I think he's still going to be a year out as great as he's been this year, 28 points, 27 games. But I think this all all but wraps up the, the fact that he's going to end up being drafted in, in 2021. And that's, that's always good when UMass has guys coming in that have been drafted. We saw Zach Jones has quickly become a guy where you question whether he's going to stick around for four years. It's tough as a UMass fan because you hate having the turnover of those guys, especially when they're playing at such a high level. But it's a good thing for your program because it shows this is a place where you want guys to come. 
Come here and you're going to get better and you're going to be on the fast track to go to the NHL or to, to the AHL, whatever your ceiling is. We're going to get you there. That's what Coach Carvel has implemented with his team since he's, since he's joined uh, this program back in 2016. And it's been working. The results have been there for individual players. Mitchell Chafee, a guy that didn't have a whole lot of su- success in juniors, now is with the AHL, with the Iowa Wild, and Philip Lindbergh could be joining him soon in that regard. The San Jose Sharks are just chock full of UMass guys. John Leonard just picked up his first career goal in the AHL for the Barracuda. Mario Ferraro has quickly become a top-four defenseman for that Sharks team. And, you know, maybe he's these those two guys are big reasons why that Sharks team finally gets back to the playoffs after tearing it all down the last couple of years. Well, it's 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 going to be exciting to wait and see what those guys turn into in San Jose. And I haven't even mentioned Kale McCarr at this point. Obviously, it was a fourth overall pick in coming in. But there have been questions over, about whether, oh, is this guy really a top five pick? You know, there's been there were other guys around him in the draft. Quinn Hughes, to, to, to name a guy. I saw redrafts that had him going at nine or ten going into his sophomore year. And then his sophomore year happens. Hobie Baker Award winner. Two games after the national championship when he helps lead his team there. He's playing two days after, I should say. Two days after the national championship. He ends up going to Colorado and quickly plays in, a, in his first NHL game. Scores a goal in his first NHL game in the, in the freaking playoffs. Then wins the Calder the next year. Now he's looked at as a top player in the league all of a sudden. As a second year player in his second full season. The development that these guys have shown, you know, that whole class that got it kicked off, that freshman class in Carvel's second year, has really shown, hey, you want to come to UMass and get better? It's a great place to be. Matt Kessel also didn't do a whole lot offensively in the juniors. Now he's scoring nine goals in half a season at this point, a little over half a season. So... That that's uh, I know I kind of went off in there about you know the development of these guys, but it, it it's up to it's ultimately up to how this stuff works out. Whether these flight risks jump and that 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 has something that that'll certainly have something to play into the decision making in terms of bringing these guys in early or not. But I think slow and steady wins the race in this situation with COVID. It's important to make sure that these guys are ready to play at the college level before you push them to that level and kind of just throw them to the wolves and expect them to. Some guys some guys benefit to that. There's some guys that has worked for, other guys it doesn't. And that's something that I think if you're a UMass fan, you gotta trust uh you gotta trust what Greg and Ryan end up deciding for those for those players. They've usually made the right decisions over the last few years. The the results speak for themselves. And that's that's pretty much the bottom line is a what other guys decide for their is best for their future and, and what the coaching staff kind of pushes them towards whether it's to to make the jump to the AHL or not and then take a look and see what openings are left and if it's feasible for those guys to find a spot with the team as they make it to as they make it to that next step which would be college for them straight on from uh straight on from juniors. Sorry, I completely I I got I kind of ran myself out of breath after talking about, you know, the the success for a lot of these individual players, but 
for UMass fans, I mean, I, I've grown up in the area and watched this team, you know, uh, under Micheletto and under Cahoon before then. There, there have been some great teams, but it was never sustained. And now all of a sudden, we've seen three straight years where this team has been consistently in the top 15 in the nation. They've gone to a national championship. They were on their way to a national tournament last year. This is a good problem to have, is questioning whether or not some of your guys are going to stick around for four years. It means that the the program is working to get these guys ready for the next level, all while competing for conference and national championships. It's, it's a great problem to have if you're a UMass fan. All right, that'll wrap things up. Probably be back next week, hopefully with good news in terms of when the Minutemen will next be in will will next be on the ice, and also when we'll next be in the booth, and hopefully start broadcasting games again. We got a brand new studio that we've been hoping to use, but with this uh, with the campus shutting down, that's put us in a little bit of a setback. But we're excited to get back to calling games remotely or in person, whatever the case may be. We're excited to bring you live coverage of UMass hockey once again on WMUA Sports. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Colin Casey. See you next week.